previously said, um, he was in all but one of the meetings with the, uh, the US. It's not as if he doesn't know these things. Uh, people make a big fuss about the fact that he um, he's not a, a great English speaker. Well, most uh, Japanese presidents, have, uh, prime ministers haven't been um, uh, great English speakers. I don't think that's the most important thing. Um, he seems to know his stuff. I mean, obviously, on the domestic side, he's the maestro. The question is um, how much he can handle this and how much he'll, um, mm. he'll have to pass off to other people, such as uh, uh, Motegi, who's done a, a great job on... Uh, on, on uh, tying up uh, trade treaties, for example. So right at the moment, obviously, the, uh, the U.S. Is, is in the balance until uh, presidential elections are through. Um, mm. Once that's, uh, that's over, then we'll get a better idea of, uh, of what he's doing. But obviously, he has great people around him, and I'm sure he's got very clear ideas. And like I say, he's been in a lot of these meetings. He, he um, has a fair idea of, uh, of what he's doing. Nick, always a uh, pleasure. The main thing is, do, do not underestimate this man. Okay, we won't. Thanks very much, Nick. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 right now is up 0.1%. The ASX 200 in Australia up about a quarter percent. The Cosby uh, showing some good form on this Tuesday morning, up around 1%. And looks like the Hang Seng will add on about half a percent at the open in an hour's time. Blink Hudol trading right now $42.49 a barrel and gold is at uh, $1,886 an ounce. Do stay tuned for back chats coming up in just one moment. The weather forecast mainly cloudy with showers and isolated thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavy at times during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 28 degrees. And those showers and thunderstorms will continue in the next couple of days, but fewer showers towards the weekend. 27 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. 8.32, Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. Legislator Chu Hoi-Dick says if the majority of pan-Democrats don't continue in the extended LegCo term, they should make a political plan for the coming year and push for the immediate resumption of LegCo elections. Yesterday, Mr Chu and fellow pan-Democrat Ray Chan said they wouldn't serve in a legislature appointed by Beijing. It comes after this month's election was postponed due to the pandemic and the LegCo term extended for another year. Fifteen pro-democracy lawmakers are expected to announce this morning whether they'll continue serve continue to serve from Thursday, depending on the results of a public poll. Mr Chu urged his colleagues to tell Beijing that they wanted the election back. If other pandemics or a majority of them choose to leave, then we should come together as soon as possible to make up a plan, a political plan for the coming year in order to let the international world know what happened in Hong Kong and also to force for an immediate resumption of the election. The U.S. government has warned Americans that coronavirus cases in the country will increase in the days ahead as President Trump comes under renewed pressure over his handling of the pandemic. Just five weeks before Election Day, Mr. Trump announced that 150 million testing kits were being distributed to vulnerable communities. The vice president, Mike Pence, warned of more positive tests. With cases and positivity rising in 10 states in the Midwest and the Near West, and with this historic advance in testing that's being distributed, 150 strong around the country, Mr. President, the American people uh, should anticipate that, that cases will rise in the days ahead. 
The US has registered more than 7.1 million cases of the virus and 204,000 deaths, more than any other country. The World Health Organization has announced a deal that will dramatically expand coronavirus testing in low- and middle-income countries. 120 million rapid tests have been secured to help reduce transmission of the virus, which has now killed almost a million people worldwide. The organization's head, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said areas without good health care infrastructure would benefit most. These tests provide reliable results in approximately 15 to 30 minutes rather than hours or days at a lower price with less sophisticated equipment. This is a vital addition to their testing capacity and especially important in areas of high transmission. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverson, your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about the restructuring of Cathay Pacific and the future of RTHK. Speaking to media on Friday, the CEO of Cathay Pacific said the company will not rule out any options to minimise the cost of operation. He refused to answer the queries regarding staff cuts. But the airline announced last week that it wouldn't apply for a second round of government subsidies, which are intended to help local companies to retain manpower and to alleviate their financial burden. The Cathay Pacific Airways Flight Attendance Union, meanwhile, has sent a letter to the CE criticising her administration for saving the company, but not employees. We are disappointed that government subsidy only focuses on Cathay, the company itself, rather than the employees, the union said. It should understand the significance of its social responsibility as one of the largest employers in the SAR with 27,600 employees, the union said. Well, can it survive? And if it has to cut costs, what's the best way to do that? Should the government continue the bailout? What are the advantages? Uh, is it time to reposition itself? What does Beijing want from all this? Uh, give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. Our number 233-88266. Our email backchat at rthk.hk. And then after 9.15, amid controversy over an interview, we'll going to be discussing the shape of RTHK, Radio Television Hong Kong. Join us for the first topic we have with us now. Uh, Jeremy Tam, a Civic Party lawmaker and a former Cathay pilot, and Akim Cherny, who's an Associate Professor in the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at the Polytechnic uh, University. Good morning to both of you. Um, Jer- Jeremy Tam, maybe we'll start with you. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, what, uh, what do you want... Cafe to do now? Obviously, these are hard times for every airline uh, around the world. What's the best response, do you think, that, that they could come up with now? Uh, it's certainly, it's a difficult time, not just for Cafe, uh, and for you know, all the aviation sector over the world. And it is foreseeable to see you know, Cafe going to launch a layoff plane. However, what I want to stress out is um, Cafe you cannot just say, you know, it is a list of company, it is, uh, you know, the government should not have any um, influence in it, which is no longer the case, you know, since the government had, um, you know, invested uh, $27 billion not uh, long ago, just a couple of uh, months ago, um, to maintain, you know, this um, uh, airline uh, to keep flying. And so the government certainly have a big responsibility, you know, for all cafe decisions. And that's the simple reason, because, you know, with that large amount of money for the investment into cafe, and it actually have two observers, you know, sitting uh, on the board. 
Um, so all the decisions, uh, making any uh, documents, and the government actually got access to it. Now, and, and Jer- Jeremy, if I can, just just so the listeners are up to speed, what did the government get for that bailout? When you say the investment, did they get shares in Cathay? Did they well, get they, a certain degree they, of control? They, they, they do, they do, they, they do have uh, you know some dividends uh, later on, and also uh, the Cathay actually needs to pay back in few years' time. Uh, otherwise, would be quite a heavy uh, interest rate will be charged. So it's a loan, ba- uh, it's, it's a loan basically. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Okay. Just so people are clear. Okay. Um, so I, I think I think what, what what I can can say is you know <laughs> the government should push Cafe to say okay well I understand you may have a layoff time but what I like to see is rather than you know to terminate um, these individuals is actually put them on a long term uh, low, low pay leave maybe that is the way to go rather than you know completely got their job lost. Right, but now Kat, now the government's in the position of wanting to make sure they get their loan paid back, right? So they <laughs> they want to see Cathay get back in the black as soon as possible. I mean, that's that's their new incentive, right? Yeah, but it's the same thing, right? I mean, like if you let's say you lay off, you know, one third of your manpower, mm-hmm. what's the difference between that compared to you know putting one third of your manpower, you know, into low pay leave? Yeah. Well, I understand there is a difference because uh, my understanding is that if you lay people off and then have to hire them back later, A, that's quite expensive. And B, putting people on extended furloughs in the airline business is really expensive because when they come back, they have to, you know, if they, if they've, if they haven't been uh, working, they have to go back through simulator. Uh, yeah. More pilots. I'm not too sure about cabin crew. But, you know, it's very expensive to have people either, you know, not working for an extended period of time or being laid off and rehired. But that will be the same thing. I mean, like, if you're going to rehire, whoever you're going to rehire, they need, you know, extensive training, you know, before they can fly. Yeah, it doesn't matter they're ex, you know, Cathay Pacific's employee or, you know, from any other airlines. That will be the same thing. So, I mean, why don't you preserve, you know, those jobs for the Hong Kong people? I mean, like, it's not really it's a job just you don't get paid. But at least it's say, you know, you've got, you know, six months, you know, uh, no pay leave, unfortunately. And then, uh, once, you know, the cafe, the, the airline sector, you know, bounce back, then at least, you know, you've got a job ready for you rather than you need to looking for a new job. Yeah. I mean, not, not just in the airlines, but in a lot of industries, you know, they might see it as an opportunity to, you know, get rid of as many people as they can. And then when they do have to hire back, yes, it's expensive, but they bring it, the, the new hires all come in at a much lower salary level. Have you had any indication that might be part of the strategy? Well, I think that would be the part of the equation to start with. Um, I believe, you know, if Cathay is going to do a major, you know, uh, layoff, what they may do is, you know, whoever is going to remain in the company will definitely be signing a new contract. That's what I would, you know, uh, expect will happen. Do you, do you think that the government should increase its role in Cathay and its, its oversight? It should become more, I don't know, like the MTR or something like that? Probably not in the long run. I think that that's not what the government intend to do at the first start. At the start with, um, I don't think that's a good idea. But I think during this difficult moment, uh, the government should be more proactive into you know this sort of um, major decisions. For example, when you mentioned about um, the GSS stage two, when Cathay did not apply for the round two, the government just didn't know it. Not until they actually announced it. So they're not part of um, the decision-making process, you know, to, you know, together with the government, which 
exactly what those two uh, observers are supposed to do. Um, I, I find it quite shocking uh, when, uh, when, uh, when I find out they actually, the government actually not knowing about it. What was, what was going on there? Were they hiding it from the observers or the, were the observers negligent and they didn't know that that was the plan? Or No, the government never, never disclosed you know, what's been going on you know, during that time because I questioned them you know, on the um, last Friday you know, during the finance um, um, committee and I asked, you know, did the government know about, you know, Cathay did not um, apply for the ESS state too when they you know, make that decision. And the reply will say, no, they, they didn't know about it. So uh, that that is not actually really functioning for those two observers, you know, representing the government sitting on the board. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, although it, there, there is a logic to it, and I mean, I, I noted this when the ESS was launched, was that, you know, at $9,000 cap, you're saving people who have jobs up to $18,000 a month. But but if you're thinking about cutting somebody whose salary is 30, 40, 50 a month, 9,000 doesn't make a difference. You're going to cut that person. Regardless, I mean, the, the program seems designed to save low in, lower, lower income level jobs, um, but not people who are at the higher end of income levels, which, you know, in the airline business, I think people are on average pretty well paid compared to most industries, yeah? Yeah, but I think it's a social responsibility. Um, that's why a catalyst actually applied for the round one. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if that logic applied, then they shouldn't apply the round one at all. But the, one of the reasons why they applied for the round one, the ESS round one, was because they actually got the, uh, the help, you know, from the government, as I mentioned, you know, uh, $27 billion. Yeah. And they do that, so they apply for it. So it's sort of like, I guarantee you, you know, we will keep, you know, all the staff for three months. But now it's another three months. Don't forget, I mean, if they applied uh, that round two DSS, it's only guaranteed up to the end of November, okay? That is not a major difference compared to the timeline they have given, you know, yesterday, which will be, you know, just you talk about a few weeks, you know, away from um, the the, the time margin that, that we're talking about. Now, and here's something. People people might have a misperception about who exactly is going to be losing their jobs because people say Cafe Pacific and they think, oh, pilots and flight attendants. Um, but it's a lot more than that, isn't it? I mean, uh, does this does this proposed restructuring include Cafe Pacific's subsidiary businesses like laundry, catering, where there might be a lot more people who are at a lot lower income level? No, because... Um, or is this strictly the airline? Uh, probably strictly the airline because uh, all the subsidies company applied for ESS round two. So, I mean, like, they're, they're supposedly not supposed to lay off, you know, those people from all those subsidies, as you mentioned, the laundry, catering, etc., etc. The only, the only two companies that did, did not apply to the ESS state two is Cafe Pacific and Cafe Dragon, okay? Um, even Hong Kong Express, they applied, they did apply a, um, the ESS state two. So we're strictly talking about the airlines. Got it. Yes. Uh, yes. We got an email, a very simple email from Andrew Kay, who says, why is the government bailing out CAFE? Let the shareholders cough up. Jeremy Tam? Well, I think that that would be the question, you know, we should raise um, a couple of months ago when the government decided to inject, you know, $27 billion into the airline. I think it's just a simple term is because, you know, CAFE is the, the major airline of Hong Kong. If any economy and uh, thing goes with, together with the airline, then CAFE, you cannot let it fold, as simple as that. Um, so I think the government made that move, and it's not only 
and the government in get the money, but also the shareholders also in get the money. I cannot remember the figures, but it's in kind of like portioning to that amount. So the raise at the end, I think it's close to uh, $40 billion at the end. So the shareholders did take, you know, some uh, pain, you know, during that process as well. Isn't, isn't that the Chinese taxpayer through the Chinese government, through the Chinese airlines that own big chunks of cafe? Well, they, they also do the same. That's what I mean, uh, the shareholders, actually, yeah. uh, but in proportioning, uh, also uh, putting the money, you know, during that uh, investment from the government. Okay. Also with us is Osei Zakim Cherny, Associate Professor at the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at the Polytechnic University and Aviation Specialist. Professor Cherny, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Okay, here's an email from, Thank you for having me. For, from uh, John Kowloon, who says, Cafe's ca- current cash burn is now $1.5 to $2 billion monthly. It's hard to see a meaningful recovery in air travel until the second quarter of next year at the earliest. The government's $29 billion bailout money is rapidly being depleted. I wouldn't be surprised if Cathay has to raise money, raise more money from government stroke shareholders. The Swire family should think with their heads and not their hearts and exit this value-destructive business. It's just a matter of time until China stroke Hong Kong governments become the airline's controlling shareholder. That is from uh, John Kowloon. Uh, does that seem likely to you? Could that happen? that happen, uh, I think we, we don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are things that can be done, I, I feel. Um, and so far, uh, the discussion has been to, you know, uh, focusing on how can we cut the cost. Um, another avenue, so to say, of, of thinking on how to improve the situation is how to raise the revenue. And um, so I, I, one thing I would like to highlight is that, yes, the airline industry as a whole is hit very hard. There's no doubt about it. But long-distance international travel is especially hit hard. So, and, that's, and this is, of course, the area where Cathay Pacific is most, most, uh, or Cathay is most active in. So I, I do believe that sort of if you think about, okay, which airlines worldwide are relatively harder hit, then I believe that Cathay is uh, very, you know, at the, uh, belongs, to this, belongs to this group. But, I mean, where else, can, where else can they cut? The major costs are airline fuel. Well, they're not spending on that. Airline maintenance. I mean, I'm sure they've got uh, airplanes yeah, I, parked in the desert in Arizona or somewhere. Yeah. And then yeah, all that's I, left is staffing and salary. Yeah, yeah. So this is – now we're talking about cutting costs. But I would like to – I think the more interesting uh, discussion or another interesting discussion is to think about how to raise revenues. Like flights to so nowhere, like they're doing of, in Taiwan and Singapore, where they, people just get uh, an airplane and fly around? You know, the, issue, the issue really is that what drives down the demand uh, is for international travel are these travel bans, are the quarantine requirements. Sure. So I think if there is some way of like handling the situation, for instance, there is a discussion about the travel, travel bubbles that you mentioned. Um, uh, with, for instance, Taiwan or, or uh, Thailand or even some destinations in Europe, like maybe uh, Germany or, or uh, Switzerland, then that could be a way of sort of uh, increasing, increasing revenue. And there is 
uh, there are big discussions going on worldwide and not in, in the aviation industry. So airlines uh, like Lufthansa are also thinking about having, you know, making some smart use of these rapid tests. Hmm. Um, and uh, also other industries like the cruise industry, which is heavily hit by the pandemic, uh, of course, even more maybe than the air aviation and the airline industry. Uh, they're also thinking about, okay, how can we make use of these rapid tests? So in order to sort of uh, uh, take off and and increase the demand. It's it's very these quarantine requirements, of course, justified because you don't want to have the virus spreading, and uh, definitely airlines can contribute to this. But if you have to make use of these rapid tests and then have some uh, uh, travel bubbles uh, uh, among some relative sort of destinations that are considered safe, then I think this this can help uh, boosting the the revenues and then uh, also uh, I think this is this is this is something worthwhile uh, thinking thinking about because it's, it's going to come a lot of people are thinking about that everywhere again not only in the airline industry but also in other industries um, the experiences will be growing we will see how how these uh, uh, work out uh, and uh, but I think if you sort of go ahead and try to um, you know, be innovative, as I think Hong Kong is quite good at this. Uh, you know, my own experience is with the organization of these quarantine requirements, these wristband technologies, and so on. Uh, actually, I thought that was uh, really well done. And so why not going ahead and also trying to, you know, make a smart use and thinking about how to, um, how to, how can we get into a situation where we may be not needing a second installment of the, of the government subsidies or where we maybe you have to lay off some stuff, but maybe not as much as we would need otherwise. Uh, uh, An optimist would say that, you know, this region will probably be the first to to bounce back. You know, numbers are very low in China. And you look at the, you know, people in the train stations assembling in China, you know, ready for the for the golden week. Um, Like like nothing's wrong. Um, It seems China is almost kind of back to normal in in many ways. And Cathay should be in in a in a. A prime position to take advantage of that. Professor Cherney, are you there? I'm there. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Oh. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we've lost Jeremy Tam. Yeah, carry on, Professor Cherney. Uh, that's right. I mean, the, the Chinese domestic market is definitely outstanding. Also, the aviation, uh, the domestic traffic, so to say, is, is, uh, has recovered. Um, is one of the regions globally that has recovered uh, uh, the most. From the from this uh, situation, so and that's of course something that sort of for Cafe isn't happening. So Cafe really relies on, you know, getting the international travel back on track. So yeah. a lot of people want to travel. I want to travel. My family wants to travel. They want to visit me. We know you. I'm mm. living in Hong Kong, but my family they are living in Germany. So we are, you know, we would like to visit each other. We don't do this because of the quarantine requirement. So if there could be some relaxations there in a safe way, using these rapid tests, I think then this could be a relief, and this could certainly boost revenue. Yeah, does, yeah. does business travel have a future, or do you think it's going to be Zoom from now on? <laughs> uh, that's a that's a that's a very good question. Actually, no one. Re- but there, there will be. A, I, I do believe there will be a Zoom effect. Uh, you know, if, if I just looking at myself, I feel that these technologies are so actually good and convenient. Uh, and uh, traveling can sometimes be a little bit painful. But on the other hand, 
uh, here where Hong Kong is based in the Asia-Pacific region, um, there, the, the growth in income is in this, in this, in this region is just the fastest. It's the most dynamic region. So even though there may be some sort of effect on, on dampening effect on business travel in the future, the overall growth will be quite substantial. And uh, so I do believe that, um, especially for, for Hong Kong, I, I, don't, I don't really think this is, you know, I, well, we don't know. But, but, you know, I don't necessarily think that it will kill all business travel or that it will kill aviation. That's, that's for sure. It's not going to happen. And you know how things are. Today we think, oh, Zoom is going to be uh, the, the uh, or these kind of uh, uh, tele- uh, telecommunication platforms will be those, they will be killing aviation. It's so convenient and so on and so forth. And then people come up with new ways of, you know, making better use of face-to-face, uh, uh, face-to-face meetings. Uh, somehow the technologies are changing and then, you know, you, ne- you never happen. Maybe there will be a, um, a rebound of business travel for whatever reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Jeremy Tam is, is, is back with us now. Are you, are you there, Mr. Tam? Yes, I am. Yeah, okay. Uh, I was just also thinking, it's it's not long since Beijing effectively decimated the senior management at at, uh, at Cathay. Mm. Uh, is that forgotten, or is Beijing still eyeing Cathay kind of warily? What's the situation when it comes to the central people's government and Cathay and Hong Kong Airlines? Well, it's hard to tell at the moment. Uh, the, the, the matter has impact to Cathay that was about you know 30 months ago but since then you know Cathay has been you know keeping their heads down and of course you know all these you know reducing of the surface to China it's all been happening so we can't really tell but of course you know one thing we can you know observe which is you know what happened to you know Dragon Air in, in this you know coming up possibility of you know restructuring um, because if um, they're going to restructure, uh, then I think Dragon Air probably is the one, you know, got the, the most uh, most hit, I guess. So, but they need to do one thing is to transfer, you know, all the um, all these uh, routes uh, past it to Cathay or um, Hong Kong Express. So beforehand, I think the Chinese government was stopping, you know, Cathay just doing it. By saying um, that will be mean, that will means not only transferring all the routes to Cathay or Hong Kong Express, but that also means that expansion for Cathay Pacific uh, in operating extra routes to China. That's how they see it, and they're banning it. Uh, that that was you know a few months back. If they haven't solved that issues, then I think you know Cathay would have a very difficult time. Do you, do you think that Cafe at this point, like, I mean, we're, we're talking about something that hasn't been solidified, hasn't been determined yet. Uh, do you think Cafe and the government are floating trial balloons? They're putting numbers out there and speculating, We, you know, we might do this, we might do that, to see what the reaction is among the public, among shareholders. Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks from now, they'll have, an, you know, if they've determined that this is not going to fly with shareholders and the public, maybe they'll come up with a new plan. No, I don't think I don't think they're trying, but that's something they have to do. 
um, no airline can survive, you know, with you know these kind of conditions without you know a major cost cutting. Um, that that is the reality, sadly, but that is the reality. Yeah. So I think you know, Hong Kong, you know, general public or even the employee will be, you know, kind of like expecting, you know, there will be some, you know, major restructure uh, will be happen. But we all expect uh, by the end of the year, they already mentioned will be in Q4. Of course, now you can argue it's a Q4, but the expectation will be after November because everybody expects that they would apply for the ESS um, uh, stage two. Um, and it's, you know, what I've been, you know, keep on talking about it because that is the expectation that people had it beforehand. Yeah, it's going to be a tough time all around, no doubt. I'm, I'm wondering, have, have the when the unions are saying, you know, you shouldn't be cutting all these people, do they have a credible alternative plan that would see Cathay's burn rate, you know, at least under, you know, have an alternative plan where they're like, okay, Cathay, you want to cut, this is your plan to cut people, then your burn rate will be X. And does the union have a credible plan to say, we have a different restructuring plan that will get you to the same place, you know, where you're not making money tomorrow, but at least your burn rate will be about the same as what you're planning with, with your original plans. Does, does the union have a credible plan? As far as I understand, um, the Captain Dragon did propose uh, 50% uh, pay cut uh, for a period of time mm-hmm. um, to the Captain management. I don't know, would they accept that or what? But if you look at other airlines, like you know Hong Kong Airlines, they actually uh, uh, re- re- pay cut of 60% you know, to their pilots. So things like that could also, as a part of the equation for these, you know, major restructures. Um, but what I already already said was, you know, instead of um, terminating people, you may, you know, consider a long-term uh, no-pay leave. No-pay leave. You know? Okay. Well, Jeremy Tan, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. We're out of time for this section of the programme. We will continue after the news at 9 o'clock. We're also going to be talking about RTHK. Your thoughts welcome. Drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. The weather, mainly cloudy with showers and some isolated thunderstorms. 27 degrees now. Humidity is at 85%. Threatening communities still recovering from wildfires three years ago. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat this uh, Tuesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chiverson. We're talking about uh, Cathay Pacific, the future of Cathay Pacific. We're going to be talking later about the future of uh, RTHK following that controversy over an interview. Now, Bella, uh, if you've got any thoughts on that uh, or Cathay, uh, please share them by calling us, 233-88266. We'll put you on air and you can pour your heart out. Uh, or you can comment on our Facebook page and everyone can see your comments there. Back chat on RTHK Radio 3 or you can email us. And our address is backchat at rthk.hk and we'll read out the ones that are relevant and uh, reasonably polite uh, and so on and uh, we may edit for length. We were talking in the first part of the programme to uh, Civic Party lawmaker and former Cathay pilot Jeremy Tam and uh, uh, Akim Cherny, who's Associate Professor in the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at the Polytechnic University. We're also joined now by Kevin Choi, Associate Professor in the John E. Walker Department of Economics at Clemson University. Uh, in the United States. Uh, please uh, join in, as ever, by emailing backchat at rthk.hk or calling us. Okay, some comments uh, from listeners. CW says, Cathay Pacific is a premier airline. The main reason they are in the situation is because the government have put severe restrictions on who can enter Hong Kong. Yes, they should be helping businesses like Cathay to stay afloat. 
These restrictions, especially the 14-day quarantine on returning to Hong Kong, needs reviewing. That's from uh, CW. Chris says, I just want to make a point that Cathay Pacific, even though it's the largest airline company in Hong Kong, the company itself seemingly has some financial problems back in 2018 before the COVID. It may need a reform to regain competitiveness in the airline industry. If things work out, the unemployment won't last long when the company re-employed the skillful staff again. In the meantime, the government may come up with subsidies to the unemployed staff. Or it's just time for the individual to make a career shift. P.S. I am one of the unemployed. That comes uh, from Chris. Uh, thanks for that. D- Jay says, I haven't heard anything about reducing the cost of air tickets to get people on their airplanes. This is why we don't fly with them. Too expensive. And then in the past, we've heard about Cathay flying half-empty airlines. What's that all about? Um, thanks very much indeed for those comments. Back chat at rthk.hk. Uh, Professor Choi, good morning to you. Yep. Good, good day. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's bad for airlines all over the world. How is Cathay, mm-hmm. do you think? Um, there are pros and cons, I guess, of a situation and so on. How is Cathay faring? What's the prospects, medium and long term, for, uh, for our airline? Um, I think in the short term, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for, for any airline. And uh, if you look at the history of uh, uh, the U.S., of those airlines in the U.S. after the deregulation, essentially almost all of them at some point filed uh, Chapter 11. So it's an industry in which uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, whenever there's a bad economy uh, downturn, then, then they have that kind of risk. Um, I think in, in, in our case, in the case of Hong Kong, they have been doing pretty well. Uh, but uh, but given the uh, the uh, the conflict between China and the United States and uh, and then uh, and then and then the pandemic, then uh, it got hit really hard. And 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 in particular for the case of Cathay uh, Pacific, as well, uh, they've been losing money because of the uh, so-called hatching in the uh, in the oil price as well. So there 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 is anything credit factors and there are general factors that that make that Cathay not doing uh, not doing so well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, globally, you've got airlines in places like Canada and the United States that, that have a, you know, Russia, maybe they, they, where they've got domestic, they can do domestic flights. And so they can kind of mm-hmm. limp, limp back into business slowly with a little bit of domestic travel. But I mean, places like Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, maybe Dubai, you know, where every flight is an international flight. Uh, people are doing quarantine at either ends. I mean, are, are they in a much more difficult position? And how are they handling uh, their cost cutting in these times. You know, what what is Singapore Airlines doing? Or the, you know, or Emirates, for example. Right. Compared another, to Cathay. Another, another factor is that uh, a lot of these airlines that just got mentioned, uh, like 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 Singapore Airlines and some of those airlines from the Middle East, they're kind of like they own company as well. Mm-hmm. So they got support from from the government. So they can say it's uh, uh, private, uh, a private one. So so uh, when you do a private one and then you do a premium thing, then then got hit the most. But I mean, how are they? How are they handling their cost cutting? To answer the question, I mean, are they are they doing? Are they making similar cuts to Cathay, or are they restructuring in any any different way? Or is it just just a bloodbath everywhere? Uh, I mean, I mean, what are they doing? Are they are they behaving in the same way that Cathay Pacific is suggesting in terms of uh, cutting staff, or are they yeah, handling I, I think, it differently? I think they have to cut staff because uh, it's just so, so many things for, for the workers to do. So uh, and 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 the workers are expensive. So. Uh, Depends on how how long uh, things are going to come back, and and I, I think current situation at the at the at the business decision is to think about the restructure of the company so that they, they need to cut costs. 
Can, can private companies like Cathay, can they ever compete in a situation like this with the state-owned, the flag carriers, especially those in the Middle East and, and so on? Uh, it's not a fair fight, is it? Yeah, I mean, because uh, uh, those who are doing premium things, this is how Cathay position themselves. It's going to be tough Because it's not even this pandemic, it's even before that, because they need to compete with those other premium airlines. And many of them are, are, are Cathay-owned companies. And then, they, and then on the other hand, uh, those uh, low-budget uh, low airlines, they, they position themselves totally differently, and then they're much cheaper. So Cathay is in a position in which uh, if they want to compete with those premium airlines, then, then they're costly. But then on the other hand, the, the brand is supposed to be premium, and, and then it's hard for them to kind of move down and then to, to, to do the but to compete with budget airline either. So they kind of uh, got, got pressure from both ends. Uh, yeah. That, that's, that's why they're, they're really not in a good position. Yeah. I, I, Professor Cherney, do you, do you agree with that? And, and how do you... You know they're going to get undercut by the budget airlines, and they can't mm -hmm. compete at the high end with the, with the, those especially in the Middle East and so on that we're familiar yep. with. Uh, you mm -hmm. know they're, they're caught in the middle. What, how do they get out of that, Professor Cherney? Uh, you know that um, I don't know. I mean uh, they, they need to find their position, and then uh, there are other reasons that I, I don't have a good clue uh, why they be losing money because of this. Uh, uh, people call it speculating, but it's this hashing oil oil pricing. Uh, that's something I think uh, something internally they need to fix. Yeah, uh, Jenny? for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think actually the acquisition of Hong Kong Express can can be something that can help uh, recovering. I I feel uh, because uh, this is uh, this is um, you know this is low cost brand. And uh, this kind of can, of course, help boost uh, the, the the business, sort of say, uh, in in the future. So I think this is something that I, I they did some changes, right? I mean, uh, before that, and then I think they are they are now better prepared, so to say, to uh, manage the recovery than maybe they have been, let's say, in 2018. Um, I but again, I, uh, I I do agree with the first uh, comment of this. Of the of this uh, email comment from the listener, regular listener on the on the severe restrictions, the quarantine requirements, they are important, and I do believe this is something we should be thinking about. He mentioned oh, another uh, email was mentioning the too expensive ticket prices. Uh, that's something that we can observe that airlines are indeed uh, that markets are working in the sense that okay, so the demand's going down, then we would expect ticket prices are going down, and definitely the ticket prices. Uh, ticket prices went down. Of course, still uh, the the load factors uh, are are low because you know the, you have the bigger aircraft and the demand goes down, and uh, so you cannot have very high load factors despite the, the low ticket prices. But airlines do respond to the current uh, crisis with lowering their ticket prices. That's happening. Um, and, I, I, I've, uh, I've heard the opposite. I've heard of cases where people mm. were paying very high prices for travel to um, the UK. I don't know, it's anecdotal. I don't yeah, know. yeah, no, but I think, I think the, the key thing is that all the normal practices of yield management are out the window. I mean, you, you can't conduct normal yield management under these kind of conditions. I know airlines, sometimes they're packing the back of the airplane, the passenger section, with cargo. You know, that went on, especially in the early days of the COVID crisis, because cargo was, at a, was, was impossible to get because so few passenger jets were flying that the normal cargo allotment in the belly of these airplanes was was disappeared uh so airlines were packing the passenger sections with cargo you'd see pictures of like 
regular passenger seats all piled up with boxes and, and cargo freight, you know? So, I mean, it's just airlines are really scrambling and all their normal tools for yield management are just useless at this point. I think that's that's pretty fair, right, Professor Charney? Uh, yes, I mean, they, we know that the uh, ticket price went down. Yes, there may, there may be some anecdotal evidence, but the IATA data that we sort of can you know, show, that looking at average prices, that it went down like very substantially, uh, if I remember correctly, about 30% or something. Mm, okay. So, yes, so there is there is definitely, they, the airlines responded, broadly responded with reducing their... Hey, their you, you, were, you were asking, uh, Andrew, yeah. about what, what other airlines were doing. Uh, Mark, thank you very much indeed, has emailed. He says, uh, Singapore Airlines have offered a redundancy package to staff of one month for each year of service capped at 25 months. Yeah. Okay. So they're getting people out of the business. Yeah, they're getting you people know, out. I'm they're getting for people it. out. Yeah. Um, here's here's a question for you guys. Have you are you familiar with this practice? I've I've uh, heard cases and had one close to me where uh, people's flights are canceled literally the day before they fly. Um, not really an explanation given, but then in a couple hours later they're told, "But don't worry, we've got a seat for you on another airline." Are airlines doing deals? to quietly consolidate their flights and kind of just tell passengers, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours before the flight goes and saying, oh, sorry, we had to cancel your flight. Don't worry. We're putting you on this plane and using that as a means to cut costs and pack airplanes. Well, I would yeah. say uh, they, they should be doing this. I would recommend them to do this. And I think uh, as a passenger, it's a little bit inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I experienced it actually myself. Uh, I have been, you know, scheduled back and forth in different flights, and uh, but I feel, yeah, I mean, I, I personally understand. You know, you have to, you have a, a, a certain number of flights, and then you don't know. Okay, so you you try to consolidate and and uh, find the most convenient flights for the passengers that you have, and then you switch around a little bit. I think that's something that uh, is is understandable and except also I think largely acceptable for, for passengers. But Professor Choi, um, you, yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, we had a, we had an email there, somebody complaining about prices. I think they were referring in particular to to uh, Cathay. But it does strike me that uh, uh, overall air traffic, uh, I mean, air, air, air tickets have gone down mm-hmm. uh, enormously in over the decades. Right. And the flights mm-hmm. have increased, and uh, there's just so much more traffic than there used to be, and it's so much, it's so much mm-hmm. cheaper, and it's more getting more like going on the bus to travel on the other side of the world, uh, mm-hmm. and so on. Is that going to change? Do you think that we're never going to go back to that situation? Do you think that that's, uh, that's over? I think I, I think it will go back, but um, uh, not necessarily completely, because uh, once the pandemic is over, then things can get back to normal. But then the, the normal will be a new normal. It's just it's just like the, the people now get used to, they work from home, they feel it's okay to use uh, uh, Zoom or whatever other means of do online. So now they kind of realize, because they got forced to, to, to do uh, alternatively without, without the normal way. So I guess that that's going to be, uh, people are going to reconsider whether we need to fly that option. I mean, for, 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 for leisure, people could do, do that. But then for commercial purpose, uh, I think that people are going to just, uh, uh, because uh, they cannot used to, uh, do business without flying all the time. Mm-hmm. So that may be a little bit of adjustment. Mm-hmm. And of course, business, after the pandemic is over. And it's, and it's business travel that really carries the airlines, right? I mean, like friends, friends right. and family and tourism is usually the really low margin stuff. And the, you know, the last minute business traveler, the yeah. big spending, mm-hmm. uh, first mm-hmm. class, business class travel, they're the ones that carry the airlines. Right. 
Okay, well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, Kevin Choi, Associate Professor at Clemson University, Department of Economics, and uh, Associate Professor Akim Cherny from the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies at the Polytechnic University. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us this morning. One and all, uh, 17 minutes past nine now, and I wanted to turn finally in the programme today to the uh, question of uh, RTHK. This uh, inspired by the uh, controversy over a uh, reporter, uh, Nabella, who's uh, having her uh, uh, probation period as a civil servant uh, uh, extended. Uh, controversy over the reasons for that and the decision... Uh, she's uh, caused some controversy in her uh, interviews. Uh, we were joined on the line now by Andrew Lung, international and independent China strategist, former director general of uh, social welfare, to talk about uh, his vision of the the future, perhaps of uh, RTHK. First of all, some some uh, comments on RTHK uh, in uh, general, uh, picking up on uh, different aspects uh, from listeners. First of all, Herman says uh, over the weekend, some three thousand five hundred companies, including Tesla, Walmart, and Ford sued the Trump administration over China tariffs. By most standards, this is an extremely important news to both Hong Kong and China. Even the Singapore media picked up on this important story. But instead of reporting this over the weekend, RTHK instead gave us uh, up to nearly a minute and a half of Claudia Mo bemoaning her psychic struggles practically every hour on the hour. One really must question RTHK's editorial judgment when it gives precedence to whiny background noise over important real news. Uh, Martin says uh, there is a difference between asking tough questions and political activism. For instance, RTHK's Nobela Costa libeled the police at a press conference with how many people have you killed today and shouted at Carrie Lam, please tell us when you will die in an attempt to incite hatred against government officials. What has this got to do with investigative journalism? Kelvin Chan, the 18-year-old teenager who's just been sentenced to 46 months in jail for attacking a police station with petrol bombs, cited during his court hearing peer pressure and media influence as factors contributing to his criminal acts. RTHK being hijacked to broadcast biased reporting over the years, RTHK is now in the business of news creation instead of actual news reporting. That is from uh, Martin. Bowen says, It's time to go back to the basics. In the elements of journalism, Bill Kovach and Tom Rosenthal listed ten principles that journalists agree on. The first is, journalism's first obligation is to the truth. And the second is, its first loyalty is to citizens. Any criticism of the broadcast journalism practiced by Nabela Cosa has to be measured against these time-tested principles. It wouldn't do Edward Yao, Lam Tai Fai and the senior management of RTHK any harm to go through the other eight principles. That is uh, from Bowen. Uh, Jay says, uh, a few months ago, CY Lung wanted the budget for RTHK to be reduced, uh, but if anything, we want more investment on your radio transmitters because in the new territories, the reception is very bad. Uh, but there seems to be a lack of news with RTHK. We don't hear much about Philippines or Thailand. We're beginning to be treated like manipulated mushrooms with news being sensationalised or, or paranoia. Tom says, RTHK is doing a great job. Hope there will not be any changes. The old school idea of free Free press, criticising government policies and exposing corruption is a valuable contribution to society. The new style free press, creating hate with fake news and inciting violence, as in let's meet at this time and place and have an unauthorised protest to avenge an unproven allegation, is not helpful. 
uh, and uh, Bruce on Facebook says, three years probation extended 120 days. Is the end near for RTHK as we know it? I hope not, but I think so. That is uh, from Bruce. Uh, we want to hear from you. Backchat at rthk.hk. Andrew Lowe, good morning. Thanks for, Thank for, 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 for joining us. Uh, is the end near for RTHK? Yeah, well, I think that um, RTHK has got a very proud tradition for all these years, and it is a pity that it's uh, subject to all this blowback. Uh, but I think the first thing I would like to say that is not all news agencies are the same. They are all different, have different uh, agendas, they have different uh, kind of mandates. Um, but of course, there are there's a common principle to journalism, um, which is of course that journalism needs to be balanced and objective, um, uh, and 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 also verify the facts, and, and not only facts, and not only half truth, and and and, and, and the, but the whole truth. But I think, as far as RTHK is concerned, I think we need to go back to the charter. Um, and I'm reviewing this charter last evening, and I, I, I think that uh, generally RTHK has been doing a pretty good job, except, except, and this is also very, very important, because now uh, Hong Kong is right and at the heart of a, um, a kind of uh, existential kind of confrontation between the United States and China, and China is now subject to all this kind of uh, pushback around the world, and Hong Kong is caught in a crossfire. Now, as far as this uh, very important point I'm trying to refer to, it is um, if you look at the Charter 4A, is promoting understanding uh, of our nation, mm. understanding of our nation. Uh, what does the understanding mean? Um, and secondly, um, under, of course, understanding one country, two systems, and again, what one country, two system actually means. And then uh, third, lastly, but not least, is national identity, promoting a sense of citizenship and national identity. Now, I don't think that um, RTHK has been doing, um, um, you know, just sort of uh, remarkably well um, on, on this three. As far as um, understanding our nation is concerned, there, are, there is no lack of China bashers. Um, so RTHK doesn't need to, to, to be more of the same. But of course, RTHK doesn't doesn't want to be a mouthpiece. So I think it's important to um, to really uh, get to the um, the kind of blind, uh, blind spots uh, on both sides and do it constructively. Um, of course, you, 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 the journalists can always put a gloss on things, and um, I think the RTHK has been accused of of having a preconceived kind of position. Um, you know, was attacking Beijing, attacking uh, China, um, even without saying so. Uh, as I was saying, there is no lack of those around the world, and 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 RTHK doesn't need to do, to have to be more of the same. But of course, the uh, uh, RTHK needs to be balanced and need to be independent. Now, another point uh, which uh, um, uh, reinforces my. Uh, my view is, of course, the uh, section C highlights editorial independence. 
the impartial and even-handed. Now, um, even-handed is very important because you can all ask questions on one hand, you know, firing rapid-fire, um, sharp questions. Well, that, that's okay because sharp questions really um, uh, highlight the, 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 the kind of people want. But if you're just firing questions on one, set, one side uh, without um, um, uh, highlighting the, uh, you know, the position on the other side, rightly or wrongly, that, that gives people the impression you're not being even-handed. So even-handed is, is highlighted in the charter. Um, and also immune from political and or other inferences. Of course, no journalist uh, in HK would admit that they're under the influence. But um, if you are just, you know, just uh, parading uh, all this kind of rhetoric uh, on the opposition side, um, this gives the impression that certain um, members of the journalists you know, so have, are, are under political influence. So I think this is very, very um, a fine line. But I think that our um, THK is well, well positioned because Hong Kong is well positioned in this kind of uh, uh, almost um, the battle of the century, as it were, a battle for uh, not only for the, um, the rise of China against the West and the West against China, and also the battle of ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, Hong Kong is right in the middle of it in um, an emerging Asian century and an um, Asia-Pacific century. So I think that Arctic Chicago is very well positioned. Uh, I think that, um, uh, that the organization needs to go back to the charter and really look at you know, certain perceived failings. Um, and of course, the Arctic case has got strict things, great strengths, um, you know, so for a lot of top-class journalists. Um, well, including the, 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 the lady uh, in, in question. Um, but I think that uh, what uh, is perceived uh, to be failings are very important points in the Charter about the um, uh, promoting a true understanding of the nation, promoting um, national identity, um, and promoting an understanding of one country, two systems. Mm. Is it because there is a lack of understanding and a kind of misjudgment of what country to one country, two system means. All the while, the past 23 years has been uh, the two systems, uh, as if one country doesn't exist. Um, uh, and, 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 and so I think it's the road of RTHK to really um, and they, uh, they have a lot of debate on both sides to enable people to understand what really one country, two system means. Yeah, you say, you say what it really is, but you, as you know, there are very, very differing uh, diverse views on course, what yeah. the, what the concept of one country, two systems mean. So, should we pick a side and uh, and reflect only that side, or should we no, reflect think, the debate? Or you so know, course, I mean, I mean the, 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 the shop, the question, the merrier. But I think it's when one needs to be balanced. As I said, I mean, even-handed. I mean, these these words are really in the charter. Yeah, but the problem we have now is that people don't want even-handed. When they hear an opinion that is not the same as theirs, they flip out and start complaining and writing letters. If you look at the rhetoric, um, even what I'm saying, the people, uh, a lot of people say say to me, oh, great, I mean, uh, uh, um, that's fresh, that's great great insight. Other people will say to me, I don't want all this, you know, sort of uh, Chinese, Chinese Communist Party propaganda. So, I mean, if the, the, the listeners are starting from their own positions, well, it's okay because it takes all kinds in the world. But as far as an organization is concerned, 
uh, you've got to stand on your ground, uh, on the grounds of objectivity, balanced, um, even-handed, because these are things are in the charter. Andrew, I, I would largely ascribe to the, the concepts of objectivity, but the, the Economist wrote a major piece recently that said that this, this concept of objectivity uh, is really under fire. In the West, you've got this, uh, this narrative uh, in, in journalism schools, especially in the United States, yeah, that, you're, you're that ob- right. ob- yeah. objectivity is dead, uh, you know, facts are a social construct, yeah. therefore yeah. you can make yeah. On the other yeah. side, you've got you know, Chinese communist propaganda, which yeah. frequently bears no relation to reality. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like a pincer movement yeah. of well, undermining right, because, objectivity because, and reality. Yeah, because in the United States, I, I, think, I don't think that there are, other, there are many other countries in that category. United States um, uh, has actually abolished um, this kind of um, a piece of legislation, which, which says that the, uh, journal, the journalists need to be objective. It doesn't need to be legislated. You, you want the consumers to demand it or the consumers to require it, but, but that doesn't seem to be what they're targeting anymore. They're no, like, no, 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 no there I'm, is I'm no trying to say there was actually a piece of legislation in the United States which was abolished, and mm-hmm. that piece of legislation was, you know, the, the press needs to be uh, objective. Oh, um, I, I think I know what you're referring to. When, the, when, yeah. they, only, when they only had three but, major but, networks, but, but, they had to be equal time. Hong Kong doesn't need to follow that. Yeah. I mean, Hong Kong is different. Uh, Hong Kong, especially our HK, is under a special charter, mm. and not all news agencies are the same. Yeah. Uh, you, what, what about the civil service nature? Because uh, most or many of the staff in RTHK are civil servants. I'm a civil servant myself, and as a civil servant, we uh, have uh, agreed to serve the administration and serve the chief executive. Is that is there a fundamental incompatibility between doing that and you know being uh, objective and being even-handed in the way you've discussed? Yeah, but but Can I, you do I, both? I don't I think don't... that the um, uh, neither Beijing nor the Hong Kong government wants all civil servants to be um, um, sort of dumb mouthpieces. But but on the other hand, there is a difference between it, it, uh, between a journalist and, and other civil servants. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, civil serv- I've been a civil servant all my life before before I, I, I you know I, I retire. Um, but uh, as civil servants, we, we need to support the government um, of the day, even though you don't like the chief executive, uh, if, even if you don't like, um, uh, well, the, uh, I serve in the colonial government, even <laughs> if you don't like the governor. Now, I, you know, I, I have to, to toe the line, as it were, publicly at least. But of course, in, you know, in, in my, uh, when I'm having uh, lunch or whatever with my friends, well, I can talk what I like. But of course, that there are people who are in the public limelight, um, and they've got to be very, very careful because that would be misunderstood. And that there are dissenting um, sort of uh, activists uh, within the government, especially people of holding um, uh, high positions. Um, so I, I, I think that the, um, uh, but there is a big difference uh, between um, uh, other civil servants and journalists, um, especially journalists which um, can come from a freelance. I'm not too sure they get them, can, they can be classified as civil servants. So that uh, journalists have, of course, have a, a great uh, deal more license. And I said that uh, even if you are part of Hong Kong uh, case employee and, and, and therefore subject to RTHK's charter, um, there is a great deal of, of, of 
room because um, you don't need to be a mouthpiece, as I said, and, but you don't need to be a China basher, a mall, the same. Um, the, the thing is the focus on uh, the people, uh, the, the kind of blind spots, um, and do it constructive, constructively uh, and be even-handed and balanced. I mean, there are plenty of examples um, um, outside. I mean, in the UK, of course, there's the BBC, uh, in the United States, the Wall Street Journal, and, and, and not the Wall Street Journal, the, the maybe the New York Times. Um, so I think that these, 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 these um, um, uh, uh, journalists, I mean, they're, 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 they're quite, sometimes quite strident, but I don't think that they would um, like to subvert the government uh, or, or, or rather against the, um, uh, want to overthrow the, the, the government. Um, uh, I, I think there's a great deal room uh, for journalists um, uh, like the RTHK uh, in a place like Hong Kong at a time, you know, in, in a very different time, at a challenging time uh, of the century. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of excitement there. Okay. Well, Andrew Lang, many thanks for, for joining us, uh, uh, International and Independent China Strategist. Uh, Alan, in an email, says, Dear Backchat, RTHK's future is to become People's Daily with music. The CCP can never tolerate any critical coverage, let alone satire or investigation. They'll do that same to RTHK as they've already to the police and are now doing to the judiciary. Everything must be subservient to the CCP. Any troublemakers, like reporters who ask difficult questions, will be sidelined. No satire is permitted. Authoritarians have no sense of humour. It may take a few years, but the writing is on the wall. That is from Alan. Thank you much indeed, uh, one and all, for your uh, views. Uh, uh, LK says, oh, too late. Can you ask your guest, do you believe it's the responsibility of the press to hold those in power to uh, account? Uh, uh, Andrew, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us Thanks today. Thanks, you. Always seems to be a surfeit of Andrew guests, Andrew emails coming in whenever I'm on the show. Is that normal? Or? There's too many Andrews, yes. Yes, yeah, okay. can't, can't, never too many. Far never too many, many. Chris's. <laughs> Uh, the weather forecast, mainly cloudy with showers and isolated thunderstorms, those heavy at times. 27 degrees, the readings now, relative humidity is at 87%. No one wants accidents to happen. Building safety is always important, and it's too dangerous to neglect it. Concrete spalling can be deadly, illegal drainage connections are hazardous, and loose window frames can fall from height. Don't carry out unauthorized building works. And always appoint a qualified professional or contractor to check your building. Live a happy life when your building is safe. Visit bd.gov.hk for details. I'm 34, the news with Samantha Butler. Legislator Chu Hoi-Dick says if the majority of pan-Democrats don't continue in the extended LegCo term, they should make a political plan for the coming year and push for the immediate resumption of LegCo elections. Fifteen pro-democracy lawmakers are expected to announce this morning whether they'll continue to serve from Thursday, depending on the results of a public poll. It comes after this month's election was postponed due to the pandemic and the LegCo term extended. An environmental activist says it'll be at least another two years before Hong Kong can have a paper recycling mill after the 20-year lease for a site at Eco Park in Tun Mun fell through. Edwin Lau, the head of Green Earth, says government data indicates around 700,000 tonnes of waste paper was sent to landfills in 2018 as the mainland and Southeast Asia tightened their import requirements.